why don't you introduce yourself and make sure you use your preferred pronouns? Uh, sure. Hi, everyone. So my name is Drew Lytle. Um, I uh, prefer he, him pronouns. So for those of you who don't know, I am the CEO and co-founder of a company called Lumastic, um, which I am so happy and grateful to say was the place where uh, I think Chelsea's podcast uh, was birthed. <laughs> yes, the the podcast womb. The podcast womb that is Lumastic.com, which is a platform for makers, creators, entrepreneurs to uh, connect with each other based on the things that they love and want to work on and make in the world. Um it's a huge passion project of mine that I've been working on for almost two years now, which is fucking crazy to think about. Can I, th- are you? Do what you want to do. Okay. <laughs> I want to make this a comfortable space. I say space. the F word a lot. That's the, one of the only curse words I say. Um, so sorry, listeners that don't want that. <laughs> we are unapologetic in this crowd. About who we are. <laughs> about who we are. Uh, yeah, but I'm super pumped to be uh, Chelsea's kind of, beta guest first person here uh just because the thing that chelsea is creating which i if you know i can try to read it back is basically a platform for uh people who are venturing into the unknown right to do something that they've never done before or maybe no one has ever done before to give them a platform to just talk through what that process is like why they're doing that Um, their struggles, their successes, uh, and just their stories, which is something that I've always wanted to do. um, And I have no time for. So this, (laughs) this is one of those like big dreams of mine where uh, a long time ago, I decided that all the ideas I had, um, stuff I wanted to make, uh, there was never going to be enough time, or I was never going to be skilled enough to make them all happen. And so the thing I should really be doing is helping uh, other people um, make those things. So like finding people who share those beliefs, ideas, uh, have more greater skill sets than I do um, to help encourage and enable them to do cool stuff. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the birthplace of the idea behind Lumastic, but by jump starting other people and boosting your friends, it's like you get to be a small part of it all. Exactly. That is literally my central ethos in life, Chelsea. Central ethos. <laughs> when you noticed about two years ago that you had this abstract idea that you wanted to be involved in everyone else's business. Well, actually, that happened to me in middle school. Start there. <laughs> Take me back to pubescent Drew. Oh, Lord. Do, do, does anyone want to go back to middle school? Um, yeah, I just like... Mm, how do I... I guess that's what this whole thing is for, right? It's like, usually I have to tell the story in a very short way. But, you know, the story of people's lives is so complicated and everything, like, builds on each other. So, like, even to say that it started in middle school is probably not true. Sure. Um but in middle school was the first time I was cognizant of this idea that, like, there I had a lot of things that I thought would be cool to make in the world. And that was primarily because that's when I really dug deep into the social internet. And I was like, holy fuck. Like, there is a way now um, for people essentially everywhere to take ideas in their head and share them with others across the world. Um, That's super powerful. And the first 
platform that I really uh, that I really connected with as a, a place to do those things was YouTube. Uh, yeah, so Hank and John Green, um, they started a YouTube channel called The Vlog Brothers, uh, and they had this project, I would say, they were doing called Brotherhood 2.0. And it was the idea that for an entire year, they were going to communicate only through video blogs. So they were going to have no textual communication. The only time they could like talk to each other outside of that was in person. And so they had to make a video back and forth through each other um, twice a week, basically. They both had to make two videos a week to the other person. And it was supposed to be a conversation. I was so riveted by these like intellectually stimulating, also at times extremely silly videos on this what was a year before that a dating platform um that i had just like stumbled into right that that's how youtube started i actually did not know that yeah yeah youtube started as a dating platform because um back then the online dating services would have you send back vh why were you on a dating platform huh well so 2005 is when youtube like launched itself as a dating platform welcome to the history of YouTube. <laughs> I feel like this is Drew tells Chelsea. <laughs> Chelsea has lived under a rock. Yeah. Yeah. And so, okay. So 2005, I actually think they launched uh, a version before that. But 2005 is when they started picking up momentum. And it's because very quickly, people started using this dating platform to not look for dates, but to share other types of videos. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because that's way cooler. Because it's so, and it was literally huge because before that to stream video over the internet, you had to use like a couple applications on your computer that like no, the lay person did not want to use. So they just made like viewing and sharing videos super accessible, which they didn't know at the time was the really cool thing. Um, And yeah, so... 2007 comes around and uh hank and that's when i really really got involved um before that it was just like oh there are interesting cat videos here um right youtube was a place that you would get sent to and then leave okay um, because you'd watch the video it, it was like do you remember Newgrounds? no okay Newgrounds was another hey <laughs> Future Chelsea, when you're audio editing, make sure you get a cricket sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, Newgrounds was basically a precursor to this like streaming video era, um, and it was another way to share videos, but it was based on Flash, which meant it was like animated mostly, um, and YouTube was like you could take regular files and like put them on the internet. It was super cool, um, and so. That's how people would share videos as much like they would have shared Newgrounds videos before that, at least how I interacted with them. And they were silly and weird stuff that you would find like cartoony stuff. Um, But then YouTube realized that like, right, over two years, which is actually pretty funny, that the dating thing isn't really going to work. And really what our users want is to like use this as a place to share video. So Green Brothers hop on, Drew starts to watch them and suddenly is part of this like big online community. It wasn't big back then. It's huge now in comparison. But back then it was like maybe 5,000 people. Um, and it was called Nerdfighteria. Wow, that's like not even a viral video these days. Yeah, exactly. It's it's really bonkers to think about. But I thought it was like, I felt like a part of this cool cultural moment of like people like me, right? People who liked to sit and think about stuff a lot. But I was also like, 
12 or whatever so i liked to be like silly like hank made this video where he went on the street and tried to give away like a thousand peeps <laughs> like the easter candy um and yeah it's really funny to think about like what youtube videos get shared a lot now and how similar they actually are to the ones even back then um the thing i really loved was um there was this uh, platform called ning um, and it was basically a way of you building your own social media. And so there was a Nerdfighteria Ning. Nerdfighteria was the like collective country that was for people who liked the Vlogbrothers. And the people in Nerdfighteria were, were called Nerdfighters. Um, not because you were fight you nerds. Were you a Nerdfighter? I was, I yeah. Were. DFTBA. Nerdfighter! Shout out to all my Nerdfighter friends who... Uh, From 20, 2010? <laughs> well, it's still called that. And what's really oh. interesting is now... It, now it's like cool to be part of like a YouTube fan club or whatever and kind of in an extension the vlog brothers. Um back when I was in middle school, it was so uncool. Like I was a I had one other friend that watched them um and we would like talk about it in secret because we would get like bullied if we were <laughs> if it was to be found out that we even like wa- like even watching people on YouTube was like a weird thing back then. Being a person on the internet was not cool. The thing that I really got into was the idea of making videos. And so that became another whole can of worms for me because I, this is when middle school was when I first started getting into video production. And um, I learned how to edit in uh, the older version of Final Cut Pro that my dad had on our old Mac. I learned how to do, like, the duplication effects. I made this whole video about, like, you remember the Mac versus PC commercials? Like, the old ones where you had, like, I'm a Mac, I'm a PC. You don't remember these? Drew, I lived under a rock. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was this huge ad campaign, and it was, like, um, the Mac was played by, oh, God, what's his name? I don't know, some famous actor. Steve Jobs. No, 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 it was, like, some (laughs) famous actor, and he was, like, really cool and hip and creative, and then the PC was, like, this fuddy-duddy business guy with glasses and all that stuff, and, um, I would have debates. I was a huge Apple fan, and so I would have debates with, um, my, uh, friends on the bus about which was better, and so I made a video, uh, about the main argument I would constantly talk about, which, which essentially boiled down to, like, the the tool is designed for different things, right? Like, um, which is kind of the same thing I have now, right? Like, if you like the Mac, you can use it. If you like the PC, you can use it. It doesn't have to be a, there is one better. But I made a whole video where I duplicated myself and had a conversation with myself from both sides. Like the nice. cloning thing. Yeah. This is my cloning was really yeah. big on YouTube. And so I taught myself to do that. And like, I was super proud of this video. I made a channel uh, called It's Just Drew It, which was, uh, you know, my username. Um, You've since gone through a rebrand. I've, I've gone through significant <laughs> rebrands. But um, yeah, uh, I pu- put out this video and I told no one. I didn't want anyone at school to see it. I didn't want I didn't want any I didn't tell my family. Whoa. I was like I I wanted to make this thing. I wanted to feel like I was part of this like creative YouTube community, like of the creator side, but I was afraid to like of what people would think. In adolescence, you go through this process where instead of 
um, wanting validation from your family, you start to develop a a social validation from your peers. Mm -hmm. And I knew that that the thing I wanted to do was contrary to what my peers respected. And so I didn't want to have the negative repercussions. And I was already a weird kid. Like, if you think about how I talk now, imagine me talking that way as a 12-year-old. Like... I would have been there for it. <laughs> and there were. I want to give a huge shout out to all of my, the people who stayed with me in middle school, including Sarah. Uh, um, yeah, because that's a tough time, especially when you feel different. And I feel like everyone in middle school kind of feels different. Um, yeah, okay. So that is my first foray into... Uh, the first online community I was part of that, like, engaged and, like, amplified my own, like, creative spark, right? Like, I was pushed to make, do this, learn this thing I had no idea how to do, which was, like, make videos, um, which isn't exactly true, but you can cut that out of the podcast, um, because I did make a stop motion animation with my brother about Beanie Babies uh, when I was in elementary school. Is this still on the internet? It's not on the internet at all. We need to put it up, though. It's 30 minutes long. It is an entire film. We worked Whoa. the entire summer on it. It was like a big escapade. Um, so I start to see this like uh, online community growing. I feel a part of it. I have this like engagement of my own creativity to like make new things, and I've kind of start to feel like the things I do in school are contrary. The way I learn in school is contrary to the way I like to learn in real life because I start to make a lot more videos. Sure. Yeah. I start to um, learn a lot of, I went hog heaven with uh, online tutorials um, because that was also a huge thing is like you couldn't learn shit back then. Like, from, like, just random Googling. Like, this was the age. People like to think that this age was a lot further back than it is. Yeah. There was an age, y'all, where we had to <laughs> we had to actually open a dictionary if yeah. we wanted something. Or a manual We or would a book. be instructed to go to the library to check out books on a certain subject if we wanted to learn more. Exactly. And so, learning from, like, the textbook manuals of Final Cut Pro was just, like, so not the way I could pers- sure. like learn it's not this consumable. Yeah, and, it, and it's because it was designed for um, people who make movies, like people who had already had background and knowledge into how to cut film, and it was like written for them. And so me, this like 12, 13-year-old kid, like trying to do this, I was like, I have no fucking clue what you are talking about. And this, it was like reading a math textbook for a college, from a college professor at 12, which like some like freaking math geniuses do do. I was not that for video production. Um, And so I started to consume a lot of tutorials on YouTube about how to make videos for YouTube. And so like, I started to figure out that like the internet was this magic place for people to share information and knowledge so that you could make stuff. And it was like this, like, like, you can't tell listeners, but I'm like doing the explosion in my head moment, because then I was like, going crazy. Anything I ever wanted to know, I now had a place and and a system to like, get find a project, figure out what I want to do, make the thing, like put out the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was really exciting and cool. But the, the problem for me is I had to spend eight hours a day 
mm. like banging my head against my desk, yeah. waiting for those moments mm-hmm. where I could feel like fully alive and engaged. Sure. And so I started to get super, like just incredibly frustrated with this, uh, the place I was at in my life, right? As a, as a like middle school, high school tumultuous. Yeah. And you're like, there's a lot of hormones going on. Like you're starting to self-actualize a little bit. So you're also starting to think about like, that your life is yours. Yeah. You're wearing deodorant. (laughs) That's the moment. And and also it's like, you're being prepped for a lot of things. You're being prepped to go to college. You're being prepped to like, have this mentality that you're going to go get a job. Sure. Right. And I was starting to reject that the path that I was on was actually the path that I wanted to be on. Mm. And this is when I got really radical and revolutionary. I started to read a lot of Sir Ken Robinson. Do you know him? No. Okay. I want to lean into the moments of silence. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, Sir Ken Robinson is an economist turned um, kind of like educational advocate He's a huge advocate of the arts, uh, and he wrote this book basic, uh, called The Element, um, basically about how people find the things that they love to do and how it is a system that is kind of contrary to the way we educate. It was really cool. He has, one, he has literally the most watched TED Talk um, still to date. It's called How Schools Kill Creativity. Wow. Uh, yeah, and I started to parrot him like crazy to anyone who would listen and some people who didn't want to listen, including my teachers. Wow. Yeah, I remember specifically, um, I'm so lucky to be like a male white guy because if I had done this, I think as any other person um, or demographic, I would have gotten like suspended or expelled. But I like basically took over this substitute teacher's lesson in, I think, Spanish class um, and went into a whole rant on the whiteboard about how school is essentially prison uh, and how the... Yeah, I I know, you're shocked right now. My Um, jaw is hanging. Yeah, uh, and basically talking about how the path, the, the promise that we've been given, right, that... You go to school, you do what you're told, you get good grades, you'll go to a good college, you have a good job, you'll be happy, is a lie. And it's a lie because the thing that makes you happy is not checking the boxes of someone else's dream for you. Retweet. (laughs) The thing that makes you happy is discovering the things that you love about life and then getting to do those as much as possible with people that you love. And... Yeah, I still, that's what I'm talking about, where, like, if you had met me back then, uh, people, I swear, thought I was insane. If we were on a pirate ship, (laughs) you would be the one yelling mutiny. Yeah, exactly. And I I was literally in middle and high school, the guy with a soapbox on the corner, like, yelling. And uh, thank God for Sarah, because she was the only one that would, like... I swear she's the only one that like actually got me through this time because I would sit in my car before going into class and like hold the horn down and just scream. Wow. Because I hated school. This also came at a point in time. Do you know Randy Pausch? Okay, Randy Pausch was a... (laughs) We don't even wait for the silence anymore. (laughs) We just assume. We just assume Chelsea knows nothing. Yeah, Randy Pausch was a a CS professor at Carnegie Mellon um, who did 
some of the most advanced works in virtual reality. And uh, he got pancreatic cancer back in 2008 and um, gave a... There was this program at Carnegie Mellon called The Last Lecture, and it's when um, professors would retire. They Mm. could give one last lecture and anybody could come. Wow. And so he gave a last lecture that is now extremely famous and you should all go listen to and watch. Um, Basically, from the perspective of this is actually the last lecture I will ever give. Mm. This is the last story I will ever tell. And um, it was super profound. I cried so much. I literally watch it now every single year on the New Year's Day. Wow. Because it was so transformative and really made me who I am. But that's... So I I watched that when I think I was in eighth grade was when it uh, came out. Um, And it just got me thinking so much. The whole whole talk is about how to achieve your childhood dreams. Hmm. Um, And he goes through his own childhood dreams, which is like, be a, a player in the NFL, right? Like, be in zero gravity. Um, work for Disney. The same per- Did the same person have all of these dreams? Yeah, yeah. So and the same person that wanted to be in the NFL also wanted to work for Disney, also wanted to be in zero gravity. Exactly, because as a kid, right, you have all of these things you want to do. I would not put that all in the same kid, stereotypically. <laughs> he was a very special human. Um, this, is, this is special kids only. Yeah, well, and the whole talk was basically about how uh, him going through each of these and discussing how your dreams change, your ideas of yourself change, and um, there are little nuggets that happen to you in childhood that will carry with you forever. So, like, he never was able to be in the NFL, but the things that he, the reason he liked football so much is because it was very formative for him to how to think about um people in your life, the people giving you, your coaches, your mentors, people giving you feedback. Mm -hmm. Because in this example, um, he talks about how his coach, like, rode him so hard, like, was constantly having him do more laps and, like, stay after practice and do all these things. And when he would get frustrated, the assistant coach would come over to him and say, yeah, you know, coach is, like, you know, feels like he's, like, going really hard on you, right? And he's like, yeah, I don't know why. And he said, it's a good thing. It means he still believes in you. And he uses that. The whole talk is like that, where he goes through these little nuggets that happened to him over the course of his life to talk about these profound ideas about how how to lead your life. Yeah. And so... Well, it's kind of what we've been doing essentially today. Yeah. I've been chipping away at the defining moments of Drew Lytle. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I'm going to get to one that might take the cake for you. Uh, At the end of the talk, he's the one that like came up with, or not came up with, but coined this term head fake learning. Okay. Because like in his classes that were project based, it was like, you're going to get thrown in teams. You're going to make uh, like a virtual game. And then we're going to show them to the class. And he'd have these huge demos. It grew to like be such a freaking huge event where like, and, and the class was not made of CS students only. is artists and like people in the engineering department, props, because it was this show. You were yeah. making a thing. You were collaborating with people all across industries to get 
this like diverse perspective to make this cool thing. And right, the head fake was you think you're learning about VR, but you're not. You're learning about like how the world works, how you make stuff. Mm. And so at the end of the talk, he does a final head fake. And he's like, did you catch it? And everybody in the room is like, what do you mean? He said, the talk's not for you. It's for my kids. All right. Yeah. And the whole thing was this, like, he's going to tell the entire story of his life, everything he's ever learned that he wants to pass on. Yeah. To the people he's not going to get to see grow up. Wow. And he just shows this slide deck of these, his three kids. Wow. And it was so profound to me that that moment that he it's not about how to achieve your dreams it's about how to encourage and enable the dreams of others which is now for those of you who don't know the mission statement of lumastic and the the llc that actually owns lumastic is called head fake digital if you want to know any if you want to know why i am the way i am you have to go watch that go watch it because it literally uh is the epitome of what i aspire to be and do with my life um so (laughs) um all these things are happening to me right like because randy pausch is kind of pre-internet right Mm -hmm. he didn't realize that the thing he was doing in a classroom was now going to be able to happen at least in my mind uh across the world like this idea of getting all of these diverse perspectives to make stuff, to collaborate and have all of these like skill sets and ideas all like coalesce and collide to make, to be on this stage and make like a cool thing and show people. Yeah, this seems like a missed opportunity for CS 1110. <laughs> <laughs> because CS 1110, we had this game project at yeah, the end exactly. of it that we had to make. I just feel like, if you're if you're listening to this CS people, uh, who's the Br- Br- Brunel Brunel yeah. Professor Brunel? <laughs> if you're listening to this, please show us this last lecture that Drew was talking about on the first day of class, and I will be far more invested. <laughs> <laughs> like I really want to redo that CS whole course now. Now that I just know the summary of it's this so last lecture. It's so funny that you mentioned Brunel though, because. So Brunel was my advisor for Lumastic when it was my senior thesis project. Wow. Wow, this is small world. It's going to get even smaller. Brunel's advisor was Gabe Robbins. Okay. Uh, Gabe Robbins is a CS lecturer who uh, works at UVA. Uh, His advisor was Randy Pausch. Wow, that's so cool. How does it feel to be pretty tangibly connected to to your my like biggest idol yeah yeah. to your biggest idol uh it feels kind of honestly it's one of those things where it makes you feel like the world is the matrix and like it's all simulation um but it it doesn't make me it's just like an interesting thing to me because the the bigger impact i think is me thinking about this idea of we're gonna make a place on the internet that takes all of the, those ideas that weren't invented by Randy Pausch. That's why I've delved so deep into like 
the sphere of education and how we learn sure. is because he is a product of other ideas. Yes. Ideas that have literally been around since like the dawn of man. <laughs> and uh, what I think is really awesome and gets me like out of bed, uh, even on the worst days, right, is that we're trying with Lumastic, we're trying to make a place online to embody all those ideas and to give everyone a space to learn in that way. Yeah. Now is a really great time to insert a sponsored ad. <laughs> this ad is sponsored by the Idea Womb, Lumastic. <laughs> Lumastic.com. Uh, this whole genesis of this podcast uh, started there. Wow, that's a redundant sentence. The I'm genesis started there. <laughs> Yeah, ad break. Are you going to have ad music? (laughs) Sure. Today's episode and every episode is sponsored by Lumastic.com, where you can find all of us. Lumastic.com. Nobody has ever done something fruitful alone. Literally no one. So I have a question that I want to ask you. One of the questions I bothered to write down (laughs) before I got here, and that's this idea of like if someone's out there listening to this yeah if you're out there (laughs) listening to this and thinking oh my god that's the energy i need that's the that's the blank that i blank Mm -hmm. how would you suggest they fill in those blanks uh go to (laughs) lumas.com but in in uh, a more serious tone um i know what it's like uh to feel like Uh, That's a horrible sentence. I know the feeling of wanting to learn something new, take an idea in your head and make it real, and feeling like there are so many obstacles uh, that it feels impossible. Um, But like what I talk about when I talk to people about Lumastic is um, this idea that there is uh, a realm of possibility that you feel you have right? It's the things that you see are tangible for yourself, the paths that are like clear to you, things you can see in the distance and go and get them. Um, The things that you really like want, the things that you dream of doing lie in your realm of impossibility, which is like just out of reach, just out of sight. It's dark right there. It's in the the shadows. Um, What helps you see into that darkness is people, literally more people who have more experience, either in anything. It doesn't mean that they're further ahead or behind or whatever. This is like, this is a plane. It is not a line. Um, Yeah, so people who can just shed light on those things for you to bring them out of your realm of impossibility and into your realm of possibility. Um, So regardless of if you you want to use Lumastic as a tool to access those people and to shine light on those things for you and make you feel like you can feel empowered and like you can actually go venture into the unknown and make that thing, um, the biggest thing recommendation is to just get people. Um, Reach out to like literally everyone you know. The thing I did where I was like never showing my videos to anyone because I was afraid of what people would think of me... um, That is like the biggest problem that creative people face is that feeling of being judged or and being judged in a negative way, like not in the mentality that you're going to share this with people who want you to succeed. You feel like you're going to share this with people who want you to fail and you have to prove something to them. 
those are the people you do not need. The people you need to find are like your mentors, your hopefully your parents, um, friends, uh, people on the internet that like love the things that you love and love that you do them too. That that's the community you need to find, and that's who's going to push you further, um, because it makes you feel like instead of venturing into the unknown alone, it feels like you have this sense of shared endeavor with them that you're going together. Um, yeah, I don't know if that was an answer to your that question. That's a great answer. <laughs> that's a great answer, and this is another reason why. Another reason to plug Lumastic, though. Yeah. Because when I am thinking about the active users on Lumastic, we've got a musician, we've got uh, a we've got lot multiple of musicians, apparently. Yeah, like, we lots have of lots pe- of musicians. Musicians, software developers, career developers. Uh, how would you describe the robotic arm thingy? Mouse cursor? Oh, the tracker. The yeah, tracker. Yeah. We have a tracker developer. <laughs> But it's really just anyone who has an idea. And that yeah, is doing the, martial arts. the baseline. All you need to find people is just an idea. Yeah. And even if you have... So this is another problem that I experienced in high school is I felt like everyone around... This is the, this is the thing that first got me thinking about this is there are so many people that don't know what they like to do. Talk to... Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> The first conversation I ever had about Drew, had with Drew, about Drew. Which is basically with me. (laughs) But I think what sealed our friendship, we had this conversation. Yeah. One of the first conversations we had, and we both shared this angst. Yeah. So tell me who this person is, and then talk to me about how you would encourage them to become less like the thing that we hate. <laughs> and, and not the people we hate. It's just this idea that happens to people that we do not like. The environmental context that breeds this feeling. Thank you for that clarification. Yeah, no problem. I mean, I'm an eight, so I was just gonna... <laughs> She's challenging. I was just going to kick them off the earth. Yeah, what's really fun about me and Chelsea is if you know the Enneagram test, you could probably completely cut this out. But Chelsea's an eight... You're an eight-wing seven, right? Yes. Yeah, and I'm a seven-wing eight, so... Get us in the same room. We're both. It just means that things. you're the nicer one. <laughs> <laughs> that's really all that means. It's the it's the way we come at problems. Yeah, that's... yeah. I come at them with uh, this idea that oh no, it's okay. Like we we can fix this, and you come at it from this perspective. Come of, at me, bro. No, it's more like <laughs> this is a problem. We yeah. need to do it right now. Like yes, your your command and control, and I'm like, which is good because I sometimes need to do that, and I'm bad at that. Um, and I'm like, oh, you know, like, free flow. Like, come on, man. <laughs> like, we can make it happen. Okay. Back to ba- that. Back to, what, what was your question? Tell oh, me about right. the thing that you hate that happens to people and yeah. then address it. Cool. Okay. So if you're listening to this and you feel like what I just said of some some people don't even know what they like to do, um, you feel like that resonates with you, uh, I believe that uh, it is a product mostly of how we spend most of our time as kids, which is in school, um, in which you are told that there are seven subjects. There are seven things you can like. It's math, history, English. <laughs> uh, um, what, what have I already said? Math, history, English. What are the other core subjects? Science? Oh, yeah, thank you. Science. Maybe health, if you're counting that. Yeah, it's like P-E. And then... 
which is sports i calculate i put that as sometimes like sports. art yeah. and sometimes, sometimes art. music exactly so like that's the there's there oh and lang uh, there's the like elective language your elective is one of those right and of those electives there are only like four well in general there you're told that there are seven things you can like yeah and if you don't engage with any of those in s- uh, seven things especially in the the way that you're told to engage with them is hey do this thing did you do it right no okay you're bad at it we're gonna take a test by the way yeah yeah and and we're gonna decide based on a number whether or not you're good at this yeah and how humans work is we like to feel good at stuff um because we focus a lot on negatives because we're problem solvers so we focus a lot on problems more than um cool things in the world that are have been solved and so you start to think about your own self as like full of negative things and like you're failing, quote unquote. And so if you you haven't found a thing in those core seven subjects that you're good at, you start to feel like you're just not good. And the the product of that is you, uh, again, there's no, I don't have lots of evidence for this. I'm parroting smart people. Um, but it, it's basically like you get into the sense of despair. Like you either feel like you're not smart um yeah, basically that's it. It's like we're told you either you're smart or you're not. And it's because of you're going to fit in these seven. And so because you've had no time to explore outside of those seven, and because you've had no time or ability to build a self your self-confidence in the fact that like the exploration aspect is cool, right? And that's like something you should celebrate, like that learning is literally the product of failure and so if you're failing a lot you're actually really good Mm -hmm. um people stop people i never learn and then stop going through that process of exploration you're never given the opportunity and so you then come out of high school and go into college and you have to like pick a major and guess what all the majors are just like little niches of the the seven so now you have to pick something. Right. right. Or if college isn't what you... Exactly. Or you might think college isn't for you. You might you feel stop dumb. pursuing higher you, education. Quote, unquote, you feel not smart. Yeah, you might get locked into a bunch of crappy jobs. You might join the military if that's your prerogative. Great. But, I mean, those seem to be the three assumed paths after you yeah. graduate high school. Yeah. And, again, there are so many people out there that are highly intelligent that think they're not. So tell me how, what you would say, I think you're probably getting there. <laughs> tell me what you would say to that person. Um, this is hard for me because I have, I thought for a long time that if I could just tell people this happened to them, mm-hmm. that that would fix the problem. Sure. That that would make people feel better. In reality, it doesn't work that way. So there are a lot of people playing this like game that are good at getting the grades mm-hmm. and still do not engage or like any of the things that they are quote unquote good at, which can sometimes be worse. Yeah. Because then what you're fighting against is, hey, I know that before you were really good at this, but in the real world, this game doesn't exist. So feeling good at the game isn't going to make you feel fulfilled and happy long term. It's having something that you really engage with that you might fail at a lot. 
but you will enjoy that process more, which is really hard for people that are always succeeding throughout the course of their life and then hit this, like, this happens to a lot of people at UVA, which is where Chelsea and I went to school. Um, University of Virginia. (laughs) The university. Um, So it's like when people from UVA graduate, it's like they were walking in the jungle on a path trod for them. And then when they graduate, they're handed a machete and said, okay, go for it. And they have no idea where they want to go. They have no idea where they are because they weren't uh, told to make a choice and then pay attention. So you're in the jungle with no compass and you have to find your way to like, quote unquote, salvation. Essentially, you are Jumanji. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you are Jumanji'd. And but you don't have the rock with you. Yeah, you have absolutely nothing. And that can sometimes feel even bring even more despair than the person that was constantly told that they're not good and then they go out and work and then start to feel good about themselves because they most people are actually hardworking. They like to feel like they're part of something, like a system or whatever that they're contributing. And so once they get into a place like that, which we can talk a whole lot about how lots of businesses are not designed to make people feel that way. And that's another thing I'm very passionate about. Um, yeah, but uh, but that that's essentially what I don't know if this was clear at all to anybody, but that that's essentially what happens to people. And again, the thing that if you want to break out, if you feel like that's happening to you, if you feel like that has happened to you know that it is not your fault. You are a product of your environment. Uh, I want to make that super clear. There is nothing wrong with you. Um, Humans, like all other living things, require uh, culture and environment to grow. And if you are not given that, that bedrock, that soil, to support you, uh, it's going to be hard. Um, so the one thing that is helpful is understanding that that's happening to you. Um, and the other thing that is helpful is then building your own environment, your own structure, um, that can lead you to more growth. And again, that comes from people, um, because a lot of people never had teachers or mentors or whatever who said, you're good. I believe in you. What do you, what do you want to do? When I was a junior in high school, I was so fed up with everything we were doing to people through our educational system, or I felt that we were doing to people. I'm not going to say I'm not an expert at all. Um, I've just like read some books that got in my head. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to solve this. I am going to come up with a way that we fix school. Um, Because my dad is always very adamant. My dad is like Keith doesn't like to talk about, he does like to talk about problems, but only in the context of how we solve them. Uh, My dad was like, well, how would you fix it? And so I went to um, my brother's room because he had whiteboards all around his room, um, took out a marker, and I designed this school that I called the Learnatorium. 
Wow. Uh, this is in 2013. I have a picture of it. Founded 2013. Yeah, for real. And the Learnatorium was literally Lumastic. I didn't know it at the time because um, I thought it was going to be a, a physical place. And I still would like to make it a physical place. But um, the the idea was you would walk in and someone would come up to you and say, oh, my God, Chelsea, we are so happy you're here. We are so excited uh, to, to watch you, like, grow and develop into this, like, um, the person you're meant to be. How can we help you? What would you like to learn? What are you interested in? And then you'd, like, rattle off, like, you know, I'm into music and neuroscience and the, and helping people who are uh, in situations that they can't advocate for themselves and blah, blah, blah. And then the person would say, oh, my God, that's amazing. There are some people I'd like you to meet. And they'd take you to a room of people like you. And from then on, you have a community of people, a cohort, a, a, a passionate group of others who are your people for you to grow and develop alongside of. Um, Sir Ken Robinson gives a great talk where he uh, dis- discusses uh, Death Valley. Um, you know Death Valley? Like the region? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. California. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, isn't I don't even know, but um, who who cares? Death Valley place like things. Nothing grows there. Sure. Um, a few years ago in Death Valley, it rained. What? Yeah. And what was magic is after it rained, uh, a few weeks later, the entire floor of Death Valley was covered in flowers. And so what Sir Ken Robinson talks about is Death Valley is not dead. Mm. It's dormant. Wow, dormant valley. (laughs) And given the right environmental context, it can flourish. And that's the same thing with every human on planet Earth right now. And we need to stop trying to fit everyone into the same track and build context that allow everyone to flourish and grow. Yeah, that was the idea of the Learnatorium. Seems super simple. The whiteboard has a lot of other stuff that like isn't relevant anymore. Um, but that core nugget is still the same, and that's still what we want to do in the first thirty seconds when you come to Lumastic, because that's what we're that's what we're trying to do is be the place for you to direct your own growth and for us to be the environment that supports you. Central Ethos is co-produced by Chelsea Holt and Keith Stolte, with logo art by Jennifer Fields. Special thanks to Drew Lytle and the rest of the Lumastic community.